Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, I had a really good time, and uh, maybe because I came late, but man, I, I, I feel like this retreat was too short, you know? Uh, definitely, like like Pocky and David said, uh, go back to our grind tomorrow, you know, me some fried chicken, <laughs> and, uh, and, and you guys uh, back to your uh, nine-to-five or <clears throat> daily grind, but uh, yeah, I just... I want to thank you guys. Um, you know, before we uh, go into the Word of God tonight, uh, I just want to just, uh, I guess, spend, send a, a gospel PSA. Um, you know, if you are not sure of your salvation, if you're not sure if God has rescued you, if God has reconciled you to the Father through the Son and filled you with the Spirit, uh, I know this is all Christian jargon. What I'm trying to say, like, if you if you don't desire God, right? Because a lot of people say they believe in Jesus, but how do you know you believe in Jesus? Um, well, you, your relationship with God is new. You're no longer an enemy, object of wrath. You're now a son and daughter. Uh, and I think, you know, I wasn't here for the sermon, but I know Pastor Bobby preached on the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. And we know that the Samaritan well, at the Samaritan well, uh, they're talking about eternal life, and they're talking about thirst and satisfaction. And then Jesus throws the Samaritan woman a curveball and talks about her sex life. Right? Why would Jesus want to talk about her sex life in the midst of eternity, in the midst of uh, eternal life? And um, you know, I know that the, the woman was saved in that story. We all know. Um, unequivocally, the woman was saved and rescued in her thirst, in her deepest thirst, which was for men. Right? She, she quenched her thirst through men. And I knew that I was saved because my thirst and my satisfaction were one and the same. It was no longer X, Y, and Z. It was Christ. Um, appetite is, I think, a clear indication uh, that I am born again um, because I have a new nature. And I no longer uh, am a slave to sin, but I'm a slave to Christ. Like Sprite did an old slogan, obey your thirst. Remember that? Yeah, that's all of us. That's worship. I obey my thirst. No one has to tell Mr. Ham. I'm just going to use my name third person. No one has to tell Mr. Ham to watch football on Sunday. You know, no one has to tell him to check social media. No one has to tell me to, to uh, enjoy sushi or to look for particular stores at the mall. I obey my thirst, you know, what I worship. And uh, just watching Pastor Bobby, uh, I know that he loves Madison, um, not only because of the way his face brightens up, and, and, and I know how much Porami loves her too, but it's just how much they can't stop talking about her when she's right there. <laughs> They're talking about her all the time, you know, and... And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful sickness, ain't it? It is. And I know that we are saved and, and we uh, believe in the gospel. We know that when someone is in love, and you know they're in love, because they can't stop talking about the object of their love. And how would you torture Bobby and Porami? You would shut down their Facebook, shut down their social media. You would tape their mouth. Put them in solitary confinement and say, you can't talk about Madison for 24 hours. That would be torture. And, and that's how I know that God has 
changed my life. He has saved me because I can't stop talking about him. And I can't stop talking about him. But praise God that uh, by the grace of God, Bobby still loves talking about the gospel more than, more than Maddie. But um, just wanted to give you guys an idea. Um, without further ado, let's go to the word of God in John chapter 21. I was going to uh, preach on a different text tonight, but when I thought about the theme, uh, Anchored Soul, um, yeah, I thought, yeah, I think we need to talk about, uh, we need to talk more about grace and repentance, you know. So, uh, let's turn to the book of John, chapter 21, you know. Brother Bobby began in the book of John, so I figured might as well end it there, you know, the final chapter. The book of John, chapter 21. And there's so much here in this passage. Maybe you've heard, uh, <clears throat> you've heard numerous sermons on how Jesus restores Peter. Um, do you love me, Peter? You know more than these. Um, but I'm not going to focus on that too much tonight. I'm focus on a, a few other things. Uh, let us rise as we read John chapter 21 together, starting from verse one. Okay. John chapter 21, verse one. Um, if you have bad knees or you know, you, you, you're, uh, you're not feeling well, feel free to sit down, okay? Don't feel obligated to stand. Uh, John 21, verse 1. This is the Word of God. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. This is post-resurrection, okay? Um, verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. This is, this is very similar to Luke 5 and the catching of uh, uh, the fish, the massive amount of fish. It's, it's, it's deja vu. I just want you to give you a foreshadowing of what's going on next. Um, but the difference is Jesus is not on the boat. He's on the shore. Okay, um, verse 5. Jesus says to them, children, in the original language, it's, it's more a uh, slang like, like, like homies, friends, you know, um, it's not really children. It's more of a, a, a friend, a fellowship, term of fellowship. So friends or, um, yo, <laughs> do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Remember, deja vu, right? So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, Peter, I'm sorry, John speaking about himself, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, don't ask me why, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. He put on his coat and then threw himself into the sea. I don't understand that. Right? Stranger than fiction. Okay, he didn't make this up. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. 
Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Luke 5, by the way, the net did tear. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask Jesus, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time. This is a critical part of the message. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to him, Feed my lambs. And for the sake of time, Jesus does it two more times. And, um, and, and at the end, Simon says again, uh, Lord, you know everything. At the end of verse 17, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do, where you do not want to go. In parentheses, it says, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. You have a seat? Okay, amen, it's the word of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, my bad, I messed that up. Okay, um, let us again uh, go, to, go to our Lord and Savior for help. In this dire time of need. Father, we read in Genesis 1 and 2. There was a time when everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. And we could walk naked with you. No shame. No friction. No separation. In the cool of the day, we were, we were naked and not afraid. But now, um, we are naked and very afraid. We are terrified. We are terrified of yesterday governing our today. We are scared out of our minds of tomorrow because it is out of our hands and unpredictable. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for living the life we could not live, the perfect life, that you hit the bullseye. You, you never missed the mark every day. You, are, you met all the requirements for the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. Oh, Spirit, uh, I ask that uh, you would allow your, your word, which you inspired, to enliven uh, dead hearts, to quicken um, those who are alive but not well, that we will repent, not just because of our sin, but we will repent 
because we know that without it, we cannot draw near. Help us to remember that you have paid the price to put us in an unbreakable relationship with you. You tell us in your word, nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Philip Yancey wrote a book uh, at least 15, 20 years ago. uh, And the title of the book was, What's So Amazing About Grace? Right? What's so amazing about grace? And it was uh, one of the first Christian books that I enjoyed. Um, and uh, and, and uh, I just voraciously uh, uh, read and finished pretty quickly. And as I began to uh, continue to walk with the Lord, I continued to ask that question. You know, what's so amazing about grace? What's so amazing about grace? We sing songs, of course, the, uh, the most renowned, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, The Saved a Wretch Like Me. Um, and the more I think about what's so amazing about grace is surprisingly and, and perhaps ironically uh, how much we hate it you know, how much we hate grace how much we despise grace what do I mean by that um, you know one time uh, I was working at uh, Panera Bread uh, while I was pastoring in Chicago in 2003. I was 23 years old, first time I had lived outside of my fa- father's roof, first time I lived outside of Baltimore. And I was just trying to make ends meet because um, the church wasn't paying me enough. Um, and that's fine, you know, I wasn't full-time, I was part-time. And so I found another part-time job at Panera Bread. I had the visor on, you know. And, uh, you know, they didn't trust me making the salad and paninis, so they stuck me in the back washing dishes. <laughs> but, you know, I worked my way up, and I started busting tables at uh, Panera Bread. And uh, it's sometimes a little embarrassing seeing my uh, church members walk in with their families and eating. Uh, but one time, uh, one time uh, a deacon of mine, uh, and he, he was uh, a well-known deacon uh, because he was also a doctor. You know, <laughs> whenever you're a doctor in an Asian or Korean church, everybody knows who you are. Um, and he came in with his family, and he sat down. I said hi to him, and then when he had finished eating his meal with his family, he walked up to me, and uh, he, he stuck out his hand to shake mine, just to say hi and, and bye at the same time. And as he shook my hand, he slipped me a few $20 bills. Right? I mean, he must have been some kind of magician. Because I didn't see it coming. Right? He's a slickster. And I guess he like hit it somewhere right there in his you know, index finger. And he slipped me the money, and I felt it. I don't know what money feels like. You know, <laughs> I grew up in the city. I, I, you, know, you, you, you got a feel of the money because it could be fake. It could be counterfeit. right? <laughs> so I'm at a point where you, know, you can blindfold me. I don't need the pen. I can feel it and know it's fake. Um, anyhow, I knew it was money. Got to tell about a tender. Right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's slipping me money. And um, you would think that I'd be happy. Go, that's a nice tip. <laughs> but I was humiliated that day. And we say, that, we say this phrase today, like, you know, you lost your man card, or she took your man card, or he took your man card. 
I mean, he had, that deacon took my man card. Yeah, he, he gave me, because he, he saw me as pathetic, and he took pity on me. Right? He's like, oh, Uri Chandasanim, you know, our pastor, our youth group pastor. Oh, he's, he's pathetic. He, he has to work at Panera Bread. Let me, let me slip him a couple uh, Jeffersons. And I remember uh, I had to take a quick break after uh, that, that moment. And I, I went in the back of Panera Bread, um, and I wept. I broke down. Because I was like, oh, man, if my parents saw me now taking handouts, they'd be so ashamed of me. You know, I didn't think working at Panera Bread was so bad. <laughs> but I don't know, uh, perception is reality, right? And I was still learning about all the nunchi and, you know, just discernment. And my antenna, I guess, wasn't very long at that time. But thinking back on that time, I realized, you know, we're okay with receiving charity. Like GoFundMe, you know. We're okay with receiving charity, right? But nobody wants to become charity. There is a vast difference. A chasm between just receiving charity like you know somebody spots you wants to take you out for dinner oh, that's fine but in the back of your head you're thinking well i can pay him back right i'll get him next time so it's, it's not really charity it's just give and take you scratch my back i scratch your back but in that moment i realized i did not want the grace i did not want the grace of this man my deacon it just devastated me you know, I, I knew that in that moment, I mean, what could I do to repay him? There was nothing. There's absolutely nothing. You know, grace means um, unmerited favor at the expense of the Savior, right? Unmerited favor, undeserved favor, undeserved love, undeserved. And we all know that uh, mercy is something that, um, that God withholds. Right? It's not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. But grace is receiving something we cannot earn. We do not deserve. And uh, I realize what's so amazing about grace is how much we hate it. You know, we despise grace so much. Because deep down inside, we believe that God saved us. This is a continuation of today's uh, sermon from this morning. That God chose us because of something we can offer him or something we can do. Like, like, I alluded to this this morning. Some people believe that God chose me because I was so jacked up, I was so radically wrecked, that he saved me because my dirty life, cleansed by his blood, will glorify him more. You know? So we think, oh, you know, my life doesn't glorify God that, as much as her life or his life because I wasn't a prostitute. I wasn't a terrorist. I wasn't a gangbanger. I wasn't a drug dealer. So we actually, some people actually think God chose me because I was so messed up. So that defines them, right? That defines them. And then some people on the other end think, oh, God chose me because he wanted me to become a pastor. He wanted me to become a missionary. He wanted me to be this, that, and the third. But have you ever thought about the thief on the cross next to Jesus, like he's about to die, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you enter paradise. 
And Jesus looks at the thief who was cursing and laughing at him a few minutes ago and says, my son, you will be with me in paradise. Now ask yourself, was that, I mean, I'm not trying to be condescending, but the thief on the cross, was there anything he could, he could contribute to the kingdom of God? No, of course not. He's about to die in a few minutes. And there's nothing, there's nothing he could offer him. If you ever need to be assured that God can save the worst of sinners, all you need to do is look in the mirror. All you need to do is look in the mirror. But a lot of us really don't think we're that bad. That's why we despise grace. We despise grace. You know, one night I was, uh, I was thinking about an uh, 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 illustration, and I guess I had been going to a lot of graduations that month. It was probably May of last year. And I was thinking about, what if we went to a graduation ceremony, and everybody at the ceremony um, were people you recognized, but they were not your classmates. They were people that dropped out of school. Uh, there were people that uh, overdosed on drugs. There were people that um, didn't even get their GED. And then on the top of the stage, it's not the, it's not the principal or vice principal or board of deacons. It's like the lunch ladies, you know, the janitors, the custodians. And I thought to myself, um, you show up to this graduation. Imagine you show up to this graduation and you see everybody's name called, all the rejects and failures, and your name is not called. And you say, what gives? I've earned, I've earned uh, that doctorate, I've earned that degree. And, I, and, and, I, and, and, and you wonder why your name wasn't called, and then, you know, this is just a, a story that I just made up in my mind. And the the principal comes down, well, not principal, the, one of the custodians come down, and you realize that it's not a custodian, it is Christ. And Christ says, you can graduate today, but on one condition, you must give up on yourself. And what, 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 what do I mean by you got to give up on yourself? You know the straight A's you achieved and all, and all of the uh, GPA, the high GPA, you uh, garnered, you have to give that up and you take my grades. You take my diploma. You take my record. And if you take my record, you will graduate today. And that's just a metaphor for heaven. And unfortunately, a lot of people would not relinquish. They would not forfeit their record for the record of Christ. They would not give up uh, what they were good at, what, they're, what they've tethered their life to. And, and I say all this because we're going to talk about Peter today. You know, Peter was an alpha male. He uh, was a leader of the disciples. And when you think about this situation right now, I, I got to tell you the backstory. Jesus told Peter in John chapter 13 that, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, Lord, I will never deny you. Even if everyone else denies you, he throws his friends under the bus, right? 
And he's like, even if everyone else def- denies you, I will never, I will never betray you. I'm the most loyal. I'm your right-hand man. Why would I do such a thing? To give a gambling analogy, Jesus is telling Peter, put your money on me. Put your money on black. Put it on me. And Peter says, no, I call your bluff, Jesus. I put all my money on me. I would do no such thing. That's unthinkable. That's unimaginable. I would never betray you. Do you know how difficult it would be for Peter to admit and agree with Jesus in that moment? I mean, think about it. You've been following Jesus for three years, and Jesus says, I know you've been following me for three years, almost a thousand days, or over a thousand days. And when I need you the most, you're going to desert me. You're going to kick me to the curb. How many of you guys will look at Jesus in that moment and say, yeah, I will? Right? Like, look at, yeah, I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I mean, I don't want to use any curse words or expletives, but it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm feces. I'm, I'm crap. Yeah, I'm capable of anything, especially leaving you when you need me the most. Imagine two people getting married, and their vows are not oh rich, rich in, in richness or richness in rich or uh, sickness and health or rich or poorer or to death do us part. Imagine that's not the vows, you know? It's like the vows are like yeah, as long as you look good, you know, as long as you do the dishes, as long as you mow the lawn, as long as you can produce kids, as long as you can make money. I'll stay with you. You'll be like, what kind of wedding is this? Right? What kind of wedding is this? What kind of vows are these? Because I've officiated about a dozen weddings right now, and I'm not saying that these these people are lying to each other. I would never go that far. They're going to try their best to keep these vows. But you know what I know deep down inside, and you know what I keep telling them during the premarital counseling? You're going to fail miserably. You're not going to keep anything you say after your wedding day. And nobody agrees with me. <laughs> you know, nobody leaves the premarital counseling like, yeah, B's right. I'm going to fail you. And you're going <laughs> to fail me. You suck. No, you suck. Nobody leaves the Like, they don't want to agree with me. And they're just like, nah, like, maybe, maybe that happened to other marriages, but... Not us. Because you know what sin tells us, my friends? Sin told Adam and Eve the same thing that it tells us today. You are the exception. You are the exception. I know other people got AIDS and HIV from unprotected sex, but not you. That won't happen to you. I know other people drink and drive and die, but you ain't going to drink and drive and die. Get behind the wheel. You'll be all right. I know other people text and drive and they die. And they kill other people. But nah, you're the exception. You can text and drive because you just got this quick hand-eye reflex. <laughs> Your motor skills are outrageously good. You'll be straight. You text and drive. You'll be okay. See, sin always says you're the exception. You're not like other people. Sin, a.k.a. self-righteousness, self-reliancy, self-sufficiency, self-ism. And Peter was the premier example of selfism. You know why Peter followed Jesus? 
I'm not saying he didn't give a rip about Jesus. He couldn't care about, couldn't care less about it. I'm not saying that. But it's like when you name drop. You ever name drop? I name drop. We all name drop, right? Just saying like, oh yeah, I know him. I know her, right? Because you, you're guilty by association, but you're also justified by association. And he wanted to be associated with something great. He wanted to be a part of something that was going to be elevated and ascend in unfathomable glory. And that's why all the disciples thought Jesus is going to usher in an earthly kingdom like David, right? So Peter thought that, yeah, I'm the most loyal. I'm the leader of the clan. I'm not an Indian. I'm a chief. Surely great things prosperous things will uh, land on me. And you know what else Peter enjoyed about following Jesus? Moreover, to show off his strengths. Right? Because he's a man's man. You know what I mean? He's a man's man. Peter just had a very uh, magnetic and, and, and charming personality. So much that even after they betrayed Jesus altogether, they were still following him. He said, I'm going fishing. They said, all right, Peter, we go with you. But you know, uh, you know, you know what uh, always sticks out to me about this passage? That this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he resurrected. Now, 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 riddle me this. If, if Christ has resurrected and he appears to you in bodily form, right, wouldn't you follow him? Right? You'd be like, Jesus is alive, right? Death is dead in the death of Christ, right? And, but Jesus, but Peter's fishing, right? He's going out to do his old profession, Fisher. Remember when Jesus called Peter? He said, you're no longer going to be fisher. You're going to be fisher of men. But now he's just a fisher again. Fisher of fish. Right? Like, duh. And uh, why do you think uh, Peter was fishing after witnessing, beholding the glorified risen and triumphant savior of the world why would he continue to fish you know why he's ashamed he's ashamed I know some of you guys are really young and you haven't ruined your life yet like me and Pastor Bobby but one day you will ruin your life just like I did and you will ruin your life, just like Pastor Bobby did. Whether it's through ministry or, or through partying, somehow you will find a way to ruin your life. And you know how you're going to ruin your life? By trusting in yourself. By trusting in yourself. Thinking you're the exception. See, Peter was so surprised and shocked by his sin. 
he said, I could never do that. I'm incapable of such things, such hideous things. I'm a, a, that's so insidious. I could never do that to you, Jesus. John chapter 13, right? And he did it. You ever do something you said you would never do? A lot of 12-year-olds tell me, I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to smoke. I'm never going to have premarital sex. Talk to them two years later. How you doing? Pastor B, I did everything I said I wouldn't do. I said, I did everything I said I wouldn't do. Oh, bro. I'm not a Christian anymore. I know a lot of young people who say to me, hey, Pastor B, uh, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I can stay Christian uh, when I go to college. <laughs> and I tell them, how you know you're Christian now? If you're not sure you can stay Christian when you go to college, how you know you're Christian now? Right? And uh, I say all that to tell you, Peter knew Jesus forgave him. Peter knew that Jesus had come for him. But why couldn't Peter forgive himself? And why are there people in this room who cannot forgive yourself? Because you take yourself too seriously. You, you, this happened to, this, these things happen to you. Or you make things happen to other people. Life happens. And you say, I can't believe I'm a statistic. I can't believe I'm not the exception. I can't believe it. That's what Peter was I can't believe I still can't believe. And everybody, Peter, it happened. We all did it together. We all walked out after he washed our feet. He washed our feet, and then with the same feet, we walked away. See, you may be surprised by the sins you will commit right after this retreat. You know, you're like on a spiritual high, you know. You, you, you're feeling giddy and you're jumping for the Lord, but you're going to go back and you're going to watch porn again or you're going you're gonna to gossip again. You're going to disrespect your mom and dad again. You're going to gossip about your pastor again. You're going to hurt one another again and again. And you're going to be like, I can't believe I just did that. The good news is that you, because you take yourself so seriously, you may be shocked and blindsided by your sin, but Jesus is never surprised or taken aback. He is never, ever surprised by your sins. He chose Peter before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says. He chose us before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless, blameless in Christ Jesus. See, the problem is not, the problem is that we take ourselves so seriously, and as an effect, as a result, we don't take God very seriously. And this is what I mean by we hate grace. We hate the grace of God. I mean, imagine, I mean, when I was 16 and I received Jesus, I really thought when I, by the time I'm 25, by the time I'm 30, I'm not going to lust anymore. I really thought that. I really thought that I just wouldn't have any more um, problems and dilemmas and predicaments, you know? I would be like solid and bona fide Christian. And here I am. There are times where I slip up after I told God I'll never do this again. 
And I'm like, man, do I really love God? See, it's, it's not a safe thing to talk about how much you love God. It's not a safe thing. It's dangerous grounds. It's terrifying to think of whether, her, whether you really love God at all or how much you love God. It's safer in God's grace to think about how much he loves you and that he has his heart set on you. Do you know why Peter was rescued from this moment? Not because Peter's heart was set on Jesus, because the Lord's heart was still set on him. You know, Steve Brown says something um, very riveting, but very simple as well. He said, the only people who get any better are the people who know that if they don't get any better, God still loves them anyway. Let me say that one more time. The only people who get any better are the people who know that if they don't get any better, God still loves them anyway. God still loves them anyway. See, did Jesus die for your best efforts or your worst day? Did Jesus die for the future you, the one who pays his taxes on time, irons his pants, skillfully leads a small group or Bible study, raises his hands during worship? Or did he die for you at 2.23 in the morning in front of a computer with your pants around your legs? Think about it. Did he die for the you that's bowing to your mom and dad in front of hundreds of people on your wedding day? Or did he die for the person who cusses them out under their breath? Repentance is more than feeling sorry for what you've done or what you are or have become. It is making a decision to live for the glory and pleasure of God. See, repentance is not just, I feel, I feel like an idiot. I feel like dirt. I feel like nothing. It is making a decision to live for the glory and pleasure of God. And that's why Jesus insisted, Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my lamb. Tend my sheep. And then he says, follow me. And when Jesus says, follow me, um, I think he's the goal. He's the goal. It's not being successful in your Christian life. It's not getting everything right by a certain date or a certain year of your walk with God. Your grasp of doctrine or evangelism or craft. He's the goal. He is the goal. So you really haven't repented yet unless you live for the glory and pleasure of God. See, grace causes repentance because you know that no matter what you do, no matter where you go, he still delights in you. 
Do you know that in Christ, God looks at us, it's called justification, but God looks at us as if we've never sinned? That I've never sinned. See, the gospel is not just, oh, your debt has been cleared, or that Jesus has paid your debt. It's that you have gained an inheritance. You've gained an inheritance. A lot of people are like, oh, I got saved, so now my balance is at zero. No. If you've been saved by the riches of God's grace, it's not only that Christ paid your debt, now you are filthy, stinking rich. That's what grace means. That's what this justification means. Another thing I want to tell you in the story is that grace is not about how much you owe God. Pastor Bobby mentioned this last night with Naaman, this grace undeserved. Grace is not about how much you owe God. Grace means God owns you. God owns you. Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, you cannot repay me and you do not owe me. I own you. I chose you with the foreknowledge, with the clairvoyance, with everything in mind. I still chose you. Like I told you this morning, there's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to change uh, the Father's heart. He would never regret sending his son, his only son. Matt Chandler said it so well. He said, when God saves you, he doesn't do it because you gave him permission. He does it because he's God. I got to tell you something and just continue to echo and reiterate Pastor Bobby's message last night. You cannot just wake up one morning and decide you want God. You cannot. See, Peter followed God for selfish ambition, for ulterior motives, just to show off. You ever do that with your parents? You buy them gifts. You, 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 you give them all of these superlatives. You honor them in public. But it's not really about them. It's just about out out-competing your other siblings, right? It's about outshining them. It's about outrunning them. And that's what Peter was doing. That's why Jesus used his words against him and said, Peter, do you really love me more than these? And these is probably the other disciples. The other disciples. So, uh, so as I close tonight, when you're confronted with failure, you have two options. When you're confronted with failure, and you will fail when you go home, when you're confronted with failure, you have two options. You will work very hard to convince yourself you're not a failure, or you will confess that you are a failure and run to Jesus for the help that only he can provide. See, God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. 
Jesus wasn't joking when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. God's going to let you fail in your prayer life. God's going to let you pray in your Bible reading program. God's going to let you fail in your sexual life. God will let you fail in so many ways. Why? To show you. Christianity is not about you. Christianity is about Christ. You are not the exception. And, I, and we, always think that, we always think that we're the exception. I mean, think of the irony. Peter has just done what he said he would never do. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, okay, now you're ready. <laughs> follow me. Really follow me. And Peter did. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that scandalous? Isn't that so unfair? Isn't that so unfair? You should, you should have people who finished seminary and are still virgins and never had a taste of alcohol, right? You should get those people to follow you, Jesus. But Jesus says, no, no. I, I want Peter, the one that's going to walk, walk out on me before the rooster crows three times. I, I want Saul the one that persecutes me and kills Christians for fun. I'll close uh, with this last story, and then we'll pray. You know, I had a, a, a young student, um, a, a young student who uh, thought she was a Christian her whole life. You know, people say, uh, oh, I've, I've been a Christian my whole life. And I look at them like, oh, I know you're not a Christian now. <laughs> you know? And, I, and, and what do I mean by that? Because they're like, I've been a Christian my whole life. And I'm like, no, you haven't. Nobody was born a Christian. You must be born again. And uh, she thought she was a Christian her whole life because her, her, her mama went to church while she was pregnant. And, you know, she was in her mama's womb. Well, her mom was at Sevikiro, you know, morning prayer. And, you know, she's like, oh, I, I, I know I'm a Christian. And uh, she, she decided that she wanted to do a, a purity ring ceremony, which is a vow to her future husband, to God, and the mom and dad that she would remain sexually abstinent until her wedding night. It's called uh, True Love Waits and Silver Ring Thing. There's, vari- there's uh, variations of the, of the title, but it's essentially the same thing. And she did that ceremony. But you know why she did that ceremony? It wasn't because she, she really loves Jesus and she delights in the law of the Lord. It's because she enjoyed looking at other girls and saying the S word. You know, look at those S-L. You can finish it, right? Look at those kind of women. The two-letter word starts with H. Look, right? Like she just enjoyed looking down on other women, looking down on other people and flaunting her excellence and her morality. That's what she enjoyed doing. It, wasn't, it was never about Jesus. It was about <laughs> looking down on people, not looking up to God. And that's why she went through with the ceremony. But one night, she got drunk with a bunch of friends uh, a night out at the ocean. And she got so intoxicated, she lost control 
and she lost her virginity as well with a guy she barely knows. And she comes into my office, and uh, she's just crying profusely. And she says, you know, Pastor B, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. I've done what I said I would never do. And I said, what is that? And she said, you know, I lost my virginity to a guy I don't even love, and I, he didn't propose to me. And she's just sobbing and sobbing. And she said, how could God ever love me? Why would God ever love me again? I don't think God, I don't think I ever loved God. I don't think I was, I was ever a Christian. Like, what kind of person am I? And just venting and venting. And after she was done, I tried to uh, counsel her and, uh, and offer some solace and, and consolation. But at the end of our discussion, I looked at her and I said, um, you know, can I tell you something? Um, you know, the worst thing you did that night, or the worst thing you did in your life is not what happened with that guy. And she's like, what do you mean? That is the worst thing I've ever done. And I was like, no, that's not the worst thing you've ever done. She says, well, what's the worst thing I've ever done? It's the worst thing you've ever done it's believing that God loved you because you're a virgin. That's the worst thing you've ever done with your life. That's the worst thing you've ever done. You believe that God loves you conditionally, that God loves you because you are a virgin or you will stay a virgin or what you can do. I told her, sis, God loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he felt like it. Deuteronomy says that about the nation of Israel. I didn't choose you because you were the, the best people in the world. I chose you because I'm God. I'm awesome with or without you. But I will be awesome with you. And I told her, you have to repent. Not because you had sex with a man that's not your, your husband. You must repent not because you got drunk. You must repent not because you lied to hundreds of people at church. You must repent for your unbelief. You must repent because you had the audacity to think God's just like you, that he's like us. And you know what happened? She got saved that day or shortly thereafter because she gave up on herself. She gave up on all her un unrighteousness and she gave up on all her self-righteousness and she turned to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And she said, hallelujah, I'm saved. I know who I am. See, do you realize the, the trickery or the seduction in that God loves you because you're still a virgin or because you're good at something, if you're no longer good at that or you are no longer that at all, then he doesn't have to love you anymore. He doesn't have to love you anymore. I'll love you as long as you don't do that or you do it. But when God says, I love you because I love you, I love you because I felt like it, and I chose you, you did not choose me, that hurts your ego. It obliterates your ego. And, you, and we hate grace. Peter hated grace. He hated the grace of God. 
until he was reconstructed by it. Because he had nothing left. He was fishing. He should have been following Jesus, right? But he was still fishing. And a lot of you, you should be out on the mission field. You should be pumping the gospel in people's ears. But why don't you share the gospel with your neighbor? Why don't you love your neighbor as yourself? Because you are ashamed. Because you are still wrapped up in your own righteousness. You are still wrapped up in yourself. You take yourself so seriously. And you, do, and you do not take the gospel seriously. You overestimate yourself and you underestimate the gospel. That's why you're not out there living radically. Because you do not have confidence in the gospel. Peter did not have confidence in the gospel until this moment. And Jesus says, follow me. Feed my lambs. Peter says, I'm not qualified. I don't even love you. Exactly. Exactly. Because my heart is set on you, Peter. Because my life was to replace yours. What makes you beautiful to God is Jesus. It is Jesus. In his tender mercies, God has an incredible capacity to love the unlovely. We talk about this theme. Souls anchored. Anchored to what? Anchored to what? To a prayer you prayed five years ago? Ten years ago? To a mission trip? Jesus said, many will come to me on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus would turn to those folks and say, away from me, depart. I never knew you. I never knew you. I give you a solemn warning as we close up today that we must repent tonight. Not only our unrighteousness, but our self-righteousness. A lot of us are still wallowing in shame and we're not living for the glory of God because we are still in a place suspended in midair and still living in the past, unwilling to trust in the grace and forgiveness of God. And so we cannot forgive ourselves. Let us bow our heads tonight let us think about this God. I did not make Jesus my Lord and Savior. He already was. My opinion does not matter. Did you know that? We cannot, we don't have the authority We don't have the power to make Jesus anything. He is your Lord and Savior. Give him what he came for. Give him your sins. I know that I am um, growing in grace and not effort and, and sweat when I no longer justify my sin, no longer defend it, but I admit it. Yes, God, you heard what I just said my head 
I'm sorry. I don't defend it as as uh, as much or as long as I used to, but I just con- quickly confess. And he is faithful and just to cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Do you have a friend in your life that says to you, the more you tell me, the more I will love you? Do you have that kind of friend? You have that friend in Jesus. Remember what he called the disciples while he was on the shore? Friends, do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? He called them friends after everything they put him through. After everything they didn't do for him, he calls them friends. And that's why Peter says, Jesus, you know everything. You know that I tried to love you, but I don't love you. I don't agape you. Until um, until you embrace the cross and you put your confidence in the resurrection, you will never have the courage to live for God. You will never have the strength to say no to sin until you realize the unconditional yes that God has given to you in Christ Jesus. Please think about this tonight. Why did God save me? God, why have you chosen me out of millions, your child to be? You know all the wrong that I have done. Do you know why eternity will last forever? Because that's how long it's going to take for us to understand the gospel. Eternity isn't eternal for the sake of time or the sake of the, the, the idea is it, forever because that's how long it's going to take for you to understand and get an answer to that question. See, what good is forgiveness and justification and adoption and all these theological terms? What good is all these things if you don't get Christ? Right? What, what good is the gospel if you don't get God? See, the gospel is not a way for you to get a wonderful life, a nice life, the life you want, or to get eternal life in heaven. 
the gospel is a way for sinners like us to get to God. He is the goal. Follow me. It's not about self-improvement, my friends. I know we are all um, hostage. We are all prisoners in the moment. And we all want to be better than we used to be. And I'm not saying um, we shouldn't want to grow in grace and bear fruit. But that's not even the goal either. That's just evidence of our faith. Evidence that we are in the presence of God. That's all it is. It's just evidence. But it's not the goal. It's not the ultimate, ultimate. It's penultimate. So as we just pray, I know um, our our dear brother and leader, uh, Pastor David, probably has some things that he wants to pray over you and lead you in. But I just want to admit to you guys as you pray that I'm still struggling. Um, you know, my insecurity eat me alive. You know. I still have a hard time believing in the gospel. Really, God? You love me the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever? That when you see me, you only see Christ? You don't see my sin, my shame. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. No height, no death. No angel, no demon. No principality. No, no government, no authority. Not even me. Not even my doubt, my unbelief can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But oh, he who has done all the saving will also do all the changing. Let me just pray for you as I um, just pass it over to Paki and Pastor David. Just pray for you. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the unconditional yes we have by faith in you. Lord, I feel more loved by you when I preach well or I'm loving I'm loving my mom and dad and I'm being a good son and I'm reading my Bible and I'm not lying. But when I do those things that I should not do, that I ought not to do, I almost feel like the temperature of your love dips and drops and so I I confess I I run around like a chicken with its head cut off and I try to make up I try to overcompensate I don't rest in your grace Lord we, we all uh, have a savior complex some more than others, perhaps. 
we all follow you for a plethora of reasons. Some of us are like Peter, Lord, and we want to show off how loyal we are, how, how faithful and fearless we can be, especially when we compare ourselves to others. Uh, comparative justification, you know. Some of us, Lord, um, we're just struggling and with self-worth and we've never been told we're good at anything. And so we don't think that we could do anything for you. But whether we are like Peter or whether we are like the person who is wallowing in self-pity, it's all pride. It is all pride. It is about me. We take ourselves so seriously. And so tonight, God, I just pray that your spirit would release us uh, from this guilt trip. Release us from this uh, shame. And that you would show us, God, that I didn't choose you because you were going to do great things for me. I didn't choose you because you're smart or sexy or clever. I chose you because I'm God. Because I can. Because I don't have to answer to anyone. It's my grace. I chose you because you were made to know me and nothing else would do. So God, um, as the speaker tonight, I, I know that I am the guiltiest um, of, of, this, of this crime. Um, but thank you for not uh, punishing me uh, when I punish myself. That you release me uh, from my bondage with the gospel. So Lord, as we continue to pray tonight, um, thank you again. Um, that you don't take us that seriously uh, in respect to uh, our qualifications. We don't know why you chose us. That's why we're overjoyed. Grace is to be invited to a place you do not belong. And we don't belong here tonight. Nobody here belongs here. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I just want to admonish you in the Lord um, to try again. Some of you guys have had a funeral on, on, on people and hopes and, and things, on broken relationships or broken parts of your life, whether it deals with greed or your sexuality, cheating, pride, and you don't want to try again because you're afraid to fail. You don't want to try again because you're afraid to find out what you're really made of. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I implore you, try again. And it's okay to fail as long as you fail. As long as you fail with Christ. See, Jesus is the only master and Lord that says, if you fail me, 
I will forgive you. And when you trust me with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, I will fulfill you. You know, As Tim Keller said that he's right. If you're going to choose a master, choose a kind master. Right? And so it's, it's exquisitely true, um, simple and profound. You must try again because your souls are anchored to the blood of Jesus Christ, my friends. So whether it's like you, you're sexually entangled with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whether you can't stop a coveting or you feel jealousy and bitterness, you know, like people get what you want and you can't believe they got it before you. You know, whatever it is, I don't know what it is. You just, you, you hate your mom and dad. You, you can't forgive your brother. You can't, you can't love your sister. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life. I have no idea, and I ain't going to pretend to know. But whatever that thing is, whatever that situation entails, I beg you in the Lord, I beg you in the name of Jesus Christ, I, that you would try again whether it's your broken marriage. You see, because I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb, I will try again. I am more than a conqueror. If God is for me, who can be against me? If God did not spare His own Son, if He did not withhold His own Son from me, won't He give me all good things? may your souls be happy in the Lord not because you don't sin like that anymore or you sin less but you have learned to run to Jesus more that is the mark of grace and maturity or it's not that you sin less but that you enjoy repenting more you don't mind failing. Why? Because you trust in the grace of God. You trust in His mercy and the reservoir of His love. See, you trust in that. And so you are okay with failing. You are okay with trying again. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So I just want to ask you guys to try again because that's what Peter struggled with, right? He said, I don't want to try again. I'm too scared of what I might do. I might, I might mess up more and defame the name of God. But you can't, you can't hurt his glory. You can't increase his glory. You can't diminish his glory my friends you have nothing to worry about follow him follow him follow him and feed his lamb you don't get to pick the people you get to love <laughs> David knows that and Pastor Bobby knows that so well you don't get to pick your sheep 
Jesus picks them for you because he is the shepherd. And he says, tend my lamb, feed my sheep. So I just want to tell you that's what God's been telling me as I, as I preach to you guys. Some of you guys are just so f- afraid and terrified of failing. Don't be. God chose you. He chose you to fail. He chose you to fail with him. To find out how immeasurable and how unsearchable are the riches of God. Right? So yeah, just want to encourage you to keep praying for those things and say, God, I want to try again. But this time, not in my righteousness, not in my strength, but because of what Jesus has done for me, I will try again. Okay, so keep praying that as we uh, close up tonight.